right now finishing up on the book of Matthew chapter 6 with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And um, it's a very, uh, a very challenging passage that we're looking at today. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. And uh, I'll give a title of the, of the, uh, the sermon today. Uh, the title would be Faith or Fear. Faith or Fear. And I'll begin by saying this, you know, anxiety is a universal disease of our age. I don't think there are many people who at one time or another struggle with some form of anxiety. In fact, I'll say this, way back in 1961, even the time, even Time Magazine said, almost any innocent, seemingly innocent everyday act somehow can portray our anxiety. A limp or overhearty handshake, a second pack of cigarettes or a third martini, the forgotten appointment, the stammer in mid-sentence, the wasted hour before the TV set, or the new car unpaid for. And things haven't gotten any better since then when it comes to anxiety. That business owners torment themselves with imagined scenarios of what could take place if X the, if someone does so and so and someone counters. Uh, mothers worry over the future of their children until it's their very future that's in question. And students, you worry over exams and future interviews and dates and college and money. Nothing tortures us like anxiety. I don't think there's anything that tortures us like anxiety. And while they're not inherently wrong in and of themselves, so many people use uh, sedatives and, and counselors to replace what our faith should be in the Lord. Again, don't get me wrong, those things are good. Those things can help. But a lot of times we find ourselves using them to replace rather than to supplement. Uh, Jesus' counsel when it comes to this, I believe, is sorely needed. And that's, and what he says here, I believe, can really be a prophet for all of, uh, really be a prophet to, for all of us. Um, I, I don't, be, I don't believe Christ's intent here, by the way, is to, uh, foster in us some kind of carefree attitude. Uh, there, there is a good kind of healthy concern that I, that I think all healthy Christians should have. Uh, for example, we are, as Paul says, to be uh, concerned about the well-being of others. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 28 and 29. And apart from other things, Paul says, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? And so Paul is saying we should have a healthy concern for fellow believers. And we're also to be concerned about the state of our hearts and the, tem- and our, and the temptations that are in our hearts to sin. Uh, there's the same concern, same caring concern uh, that, is, that should be within us to, for any serious work of God. We're to think and we're to plan and we're to uh, anticipate any pitfalls that can happen. Uh, for example, no good architect. Uh, is going is going to do a good job of building uh, something a large a bridge or something of that of that matter without sometimes waking up at night and checking figures and checking the quality of the metals and the quality quality of the design. No athlete is going to perform his or her best without some concern of what he or she is doing. And the distinction is subtle sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it's very subtle. Um. 
I'll give you an example as a pastor. A preacher might be honestly concerned about his sermon, uh, saying what is true to the text, saying what is practical, spoken in the power and, the, and in the love of the Holy Spirit. But a preacher, if he's not careful, can, can, can be, rather than being caught up and be, being concerned for what is good, can be concerned with what is wrong, just trying to be a celebrity in his neighborhood. One is healthy and one is not. Some concern is good and some is not. And Jesus is talking about the concern that is not good. So let me give you the context here, because Jesus starts off by saying, therefore, Verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, therefore. Now, I've said this before, and I'll, and I'll remind you again, when some, whenever the Bible comes and shows us therefore, it means that there was an idea that was brought about previously that we need to take in light of what we're about to read. And so uh, there's something in the previous passage about the spirit of worry, about the spirit of anxiety that we need to look at. And so let's look back. Verse 24, Jesus says this. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. So ordinarily, um, a choice is not a reason not to worry. It's hardly, uh, we give someone, when we give someone a reason to do something, we hardly ever give them a choice as a reason. Uh, but we, if we follow the Jesus logic through um, uh, verses 19 to 24 that I preached on last week, we can see that that choice is a reason not to worry. Because in the passage, Jesus told us to wait and to choose between two different alternatives. Choose between two different gods. The God of money and self or the God of heaven. Choose. He says we can store up treasures on earth. Or we can store up treasures in heaven. Which treasure is going to be more lasting? That's what Jesus is asking there. So as we kind of chart through life's course, as we kind of navigate through, 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 through this life, you and I have to decide where to set our eyes, where to set our affections. We can set our eyes on our wealth, where we can set our eyes on God. We can set our eyes on material goods or on the kingdom. We can live with generosity or openness, or we can live with stinginess and greed. Which object produces, which object promises a better life? They both make a promise. But which one is going to be best in the long run? So choose, Jesus says. Choose. And Jesus moves on. In the verse 25, he's saying, if God is our Lord, then we don't need to worry about material needs. He frees us from the, the mental consequences of loyalty to stuff. That is, if we, if we live for riches, whether little, whether, whether little or much, then we live for a weak God who can't protect us. So look at this. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. And so there's a negative message here that Jesus is saying, and he presents, excuse me, he presents a positive message through giving a negative here. Uh, negatively, he forbids us to worry about food, drink, clothing, or any other material need. And positively, he's saying we need to trust in God. Jesus knows our needs, by the way. Did you know that? How many of us live like that, though? That Jesus knows and that Jesus provides 
It's one thing to say that, to say that we know it, but it's another thing to actually live like we believe it. How often do we, do we get overly concerned about things that we should be trusting in God for? Quite often. He knows our needs. He knows we're prone to worry. And because he knows we're prone to worry, he's, he gives us these logical arguments and, the, and, and, and beautiful, really, illustrations to, uh, to calm our heart. So I want to give you something today. And I want to give you straight from the passage here six reasons for a worry-free life. Six reasons, because Jesus that's what Jesus gives to us. Six reasons for a worry-free life. How many of y'all would like to have a life that is absolutely worry-free? And Jesus said, you can have it. That's the beauty, that's the beautiful thing of it. Jesus said, you can have it. You do not have to have this kind of worry. In fact, he's commanding you, do not. Worried. So that's different than saying, oh, this is something, this is, a, this is a beautiful thing for you to have. He's saying, I'm telling you, you're supposed to have it. Now, it's not name it, claim it, because it's not, it's not quite that easy. But let's look at this here. Reason number one, life is more than food or clothes. Life is more than food or clothes. And it's logical that you and I would worry first about food and clothing, since they are essential to life, especially food. But Jesus quickly removes from his command not to worry to the reason. He says, therefore, I tell you, we're looking at this again. Therefore, verse 25, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink, or, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life, look at this, more than food and the body more than clothing? He's saying we shouldn't worry about food and clothing because God cares for life itself, which encompasses food, which encompasses clothing, which encompasses all the rest. If God cares for the greater thing, the life as a whole, then he certainly cares for the lesser things and, the, and, and those little parts that sustain us each day. To put it differently, if you and I are concerned about food and drinking, clothing, we've barely gotten started with what can worry us. What about war? What about floods? What about pollution? What about an asteroid hitting the earth? I'm just using much bigger things. If we're worried about the little things, what's we, what are we going to do with the big things? And if we believe that God cares for the big things, life itself, then we should trust him to care for the little parts of it. If we say, I believe that Jesus is going to sustain me, is going, going to continue to help me to live, then we should know that he's got those little parts taken care of. And when you and I are confident that God oversees all of our material needs, food, clothing, then you and I are free to seek his kingdom. It's a beautiful thing. I'll say this more at the end, but the more time or the less time we spend worrying about those little things, the more time we can focus on our Lord. Reason number two. Here's a beautiful reason. God cares for the birds. There's a reason not to worry. It's because God cares for birds. We chuckle, but Jesus used this illustration. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They don't do anything that, peop that, people, think we should, that, we, that people think we're supposed to do in order to feed ourselves. They don't do any of that, yet God still feeds them. Are you not of more value 
Then they? Jesus is saying, since God cares for this small, little, minuscule, little, little creature, the birds of the air, he's certainly going to care for us who are far greater, more valuable than they are. It's interesting to watch them, by the way. You know, birds, they work hard all the time, especially when they're feeding their young ones. Like, I've, we've, got a, we've got some barn swallows at the house, and they've, they've got their nest built, that mud nest that they build. And when the, when the babies are born, there are, there's a, the mama and the daddy bird that are flying back and forth, constantly feeding the babies. And they don't stop, ever, ever. They don't stop. But there's no properly organized effort. Jesus is saying they're not sowing any seeds. They're not reaping. They're not, they're not planting fields. They're not doing any of that. God's still taking care of them. They're not farmers by any, by any stretch of the imagination. Yet they don't starve. Jesus is saying if God can take care of them and they don't have any concerted effort of trying to put this together, what makes you think that he's not going to take care of you? So why worry? He's saying you are so you are so much more value valuable to God than they are. He sent his son to die for you, disciples. He sent his son to die for people. He didn't send Jesus to die for birds or any sort of animal. He sent his son to die for people. And if he sent his son to die for people to give them eternal life, do we not think that he's going to care for us in the meantime? That's reason number two. God cares for the birds. Reason number three. Worry accomplishes nothing. Worry accomplishes nothing. Jesus said in verse 27, moving on, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? We can stay, we can stay up all night and worry about something. And it's not going to add a single minute or hour to our lives. More likely, it's going to take hours and minutes away from it. Amen. So, Jesus is saying you're, it's not going to accomplish anything. I'll give you an example. I was, and I may have told this story before, but uh, I was uh, set to be director over VBS several years ago. And it was the first time I'd ever directed any sort of VBS. And I was worried, sick over having volunteers. And I mean, if you've ever led VBS, then you know that trying to find volunteers to fill all those roles can be a very stressful part, especially if you're getting, if it's drawing down to the time and uh, you don't have everyone in place that you need, it can be stressful. And so I was up at like two o'clock in the morning, just pacing beside my bed. Who am I going to find? Who am I going to find? Who's, who's going to volunteer? And it was almost, and, and it was almost as if the Lord spoke audibly. It was like, Billy, what good is it doing worrying at two o'clock in the morning about VBS? Who are you going to call right now? Who are you going to call at 2 o'clock in the morning? That's funny, y'all. Who am I, who, would you want to receive a phone call from the preacher at 2 o'clock in the morning saying, will you volunteer for VBS? <laughs> the answer is no, you won't want to. And then that was kind of the Lord poking, poking that in my mind. No, nobody wants to hear a call from you. Figure it out in the morning. Go to sleep. <laughs> Worry accomplishes nothing. Reason number four, kind of like reason number two. God not only cares for birds, but he cares for flowers and grass. 
God cares for flowers and grass. And if God cares for flowers and grass, then you should know, as Jesus once again says, he's going to care for you. Why are you anxious about clothing? Jesus says in verses 28 and 29, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They don't make any clothes, but yet they still grow. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon was the greatest king, of, well, was the most uh, ornate king. I would say David's probably the greatest king, but Solomon was the most ornate king. He built the temple out of all this gold. He had everything, all the riches that anyone could imagine. He had it all. And Jesus says that flower in the field is, is more ornate than Solomon is. I took a picture the other day of a morning glory, and for, a life, for most people, those are, those are weeds. <laughs> but the flower on a morning glory is incredibly beautiful. Purple ones are my favorite, by the way. I mean, you might like the pinks or the blues, but the purple ones are my favorite. And just looking at all the beautiful colors that are inside that weed. And if God can provide the beautiful colors for a weed, do we not think that he can provide for us? That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is, is thrown into the oven, how much more will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you oh, you of little faith? That phrase, oh, you of little faith, is just one word in Greek, by the way, and it's notable. Uh, Jesus was talking to mostly disciples, by the way. There were there might have been a few uh, curious, maybe a few unlost tossed in, but there were mostly disciples. His listeners, they had faith, or at least they had an interest in faith. But they were worrying, which Jesus, is, which Jesus is looking at. They were worrying about things that they should have been trusting God in. And so Jesus is saying, you have a little faith, and you, you, and you need a strong faith. And strong faith, he's trying to tell them, it doesn't come by introspection. It, it, comes, it doesn't come by working up feelings of trust in God. Rather, Jesus' stronger faith it comes by contemplating God's ways with his creation. Watch the birds. Watch the flowers. Watch the grass. And God can provide for all those minuscule little things. Is he not going to provide for the people that he loves and he sent his son to die for. That's what Jesus is saying there. So why worry? It's a vital message. You and I spend way too long, so many days, worrying about things that God's already got. I don't have a slide for this, but you can write down somewhere, God's got this. Whatever situation you're finding yourself worrying about, God's got this. Try and trust it to him. But it, but it is open to abuse. And I want to talk about that just for a little bit because some people think that Jesus' ban on worry requires us to make no plans, to anticipate and prevent no troubles, to, uh, uh, to, to not think anything about what could happen. But to plan and even to plan for potential trouble is not necessarily to worry. It means it's just being aware. So we pause and, and we need to think how a lack of worry and proper planning can coexist, which they can. So let's look at this, planning without worry. Uh, there are three things I want to give you very quickly when it comes to planning without worry. Number one, bodily care. Bodily care. Jesus doesn't forbid us to be have a healthy concern about our bodies because, we, because they don't need care. Jesus cares for them. Our bodies are good. They need to be, they need to, they need to be taken care of. They matter. There are so many that sadly they neglect their bodies altogether. 
And some, which rightly they re- exercise regularly, they eat properly, and maybe not all, maybe not always, but they but they pay attention. And then there are some who uh, who become absolutely consumed with their own physical health, and it's almost become they rather than they become conscious of their health, they become obsessed with their body. And it's not just and it's not just young people. It's young, old alike. It's 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 those who are trying to reverse the the effects of aging. Those who are trying to make themselves look better for maybe a competition or or to be attracted attractive to others. And so we can and so we can over obsess on our, our our own health. Again, fitness is good, and it's good to be healthy. We're more than minds lodged inside any sort of alien bodies. Fitness helps our bodies remain dependable. But there's a line that's got to, there's a line to be drawn between tending to our bodies and becoming enslaved to them. That's what Jesus is saying, planning without worry. Bodily care. Bodily care is good. Bodily obsession is bad. Then another, another one, not just bodily care, but financial planning. Financial planning. Planning is good. Proverbs 6 tells the sluggard to learn from the ant who stores up food for the winter. Proverbs 31, blessed is the woman who sees winter coming and prepares clothing for her family. Paul tells many women that they need to provide for their families, even tells parents that they should save up for their children. So planning is good. Planning, if you, especially having, having that retirement and, and, and planning on that, there may be a day coming where you're not able to physically do what you can do now. So having and planning for that is not a bad thing. But a lot of times we end up equating, or, or, or and maybe not in word, but indeed we, we, we can end up equating our retirement with God's provision. God can give and he can take away. The stock markets could crash and you lose everything. How will your faith be then? That's the question. Will you still be able to trust in God? And Job lost everything, by the way. He lost a lot more than what any of our retirements could give to us. And where did his faith remain? In the Lord. Was it not tem- was it tempted to look away? Uh, you betcha. He had friends around him. He had his own wife say, curse God and die. So absolutely, there were some temptations to look to his own self, to try to build his own self back up. But he remained faithful to the Lord. And the very same Lord who allowed it all to be taken away was the one one who provided a blessing for him at the very end. If you haven't read the book of Job, I encourage you to do so. Planning's good. God grants us the strength of body and of mind, and he he gives us these mental and physical gifts. And even the Bible even tells us that he makes laziness painful. Look at verse Proverbs twenty six verse twenty Proverbs sixteen verse twenty six. A worker's appetite works for him; his mouth urges him on. It means that uh, hey, our laziness is actually going to be painful. It's going to make us want to work. Second Thessalonians three ten. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. You've heard that one many times. It's right for us to plan to use our God-given abilities and training wisely to make to, to make sure that we provide, especially husbands, we provide for our families. We provide. So there's bodily care, financial planning, and then there's human, there are lastly human troubles. Jesus promises God's care in the troubles, but he does not 
and, and, he, and he doesn't tell us to have a carefree life, and he doesn't promise a carefree life. He does promise that God is going to guard us in times of trouble, but he doesn't promise that the tr- times of trouble aren't going to happen. It means that God is going to care for us through those times. He's going to care for us through the, through, the, through, through the times when we feel like we can't even put food in the cabinet. He's going to care for us during the times when we have broken relationships, lost jobs, disease, anything like that. He, he's going to care for us through that. It doesn't mean not those things are never going to happen. It means he's going to care for us through them. Therefore, don't be anxious, Jesus says, verse 31. What, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Don't be anxious about that. And that's a daunting command, by the way. Because those are life's essentials, aren't they? Food, drink, clothing, those are essentials to life. They're not luxuries. Jesus, and so that's, and so it's, it's, it's daunting to think that Jesus is not just telling us not to care about the luxuries, but he's telling us not to care about the essentials. Not to worry, to trust that the Lord will provide. That worrying means, he says, trust in the Lord. Don't go chasing after that. Pursue your needs in a way that allows you to seek the kingdom first. Reason number five kind of said this, and I'll just repeat this. It's worth writing down. The Father. Your Father, your Heavenly Father, knows your needs. He knows them. He knows them intimately. He knows your needs better than you know your needs. Jesus says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. The word Gentile, I think think some of your Bibles may use the word pagan. I think that's actually a better word for that rather than just Gentiles, because you and I are all Gentiles, by the way. Um, we're all, if you're not Jewish in here today, then you're, then you're a Gentile. And so, uh, so Jesus using that word, uh, the, the better word for that is pagan. And I'm not correcting Jesus. He, we're, I'm just providing a better English word there. Um, so, and, and so what he's saying is that pagans, they, they, they toil and they chase after material things since they have little less to do with their lives. But when we know the King as our Father, when we know Jesus Christ as our, as our Heavenly Father, who knows our needs and works to meet them, you and I can lead, you and I can live a life that is anxiety free because that trust in God throws out, it throws out anxiety. It throws out worry. He knows what you need. Reason number six, the things the world chases, Jesus says, will be given to you. The things the world chases will be given to you. That's that's a beautiful, beautiful wording there that he says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom and all these things that will be added to you, the things that the world Worries about day after day after day after day after day. Jesus says they're going to be just given. And this is not a prosperity teaching. Jesus is saying those things that, that, that the world is concerned about, food and, and clothing. Jesus says it's going to be given if you trust him for it. If you trust him for it and rely on him and, 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 and plan accordingly without having to worry. 
Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God. To seek the kingdom is to seek the king, to love him as a savior and a friend, to bow to him as Lord. To seek the kingdom is to pray for it. And Jesus says, pray your kingdom come. And so when we pray for these kingdom causes, it's not, and not just for logical and personal concerns, we're seeking the kingdom. So to seek the kingdom is also to, to evangelize. It is to bring others into the kingdom. To seek the kingdom is to submit to God's reign by obeying him, by obeying God and, and at all costs, to seek the kingdom means to pursue wages and profits in ways that please God, knowing that at sometimes that may lead to less money. To seek the kingdom means to have an eye on social reform. For example, meaning that public officials should do all they can to stop the spread of state-sponsored gambling. Lottery. In other words. And if possible, reverse it. To seek the kingdom means to pursue righteousness wherever we are. To seek the kingdom first doesn't mean that Christians do not have ambitions, it means that Christians have different ambitions. To seek the kingdom doesn't mean that we that we don't that we that we don't want to be fed or that we don't want clues clothes. It means that we're trusting in someone far greater who can provide that. We all have we all need purpose, we all need ambition. It's sad when 20-year-olds drift in and out of college and shift from one job to another or go from one relationship to another. It's sadder still when a mature adult drifts aimlessly. We all need that purpose. We all need the ambition. And ambition, by the way, has two sides. There's selfish ambition, the desire for success and control as an end in and of itself. And then there's ambition for God's kingdom. The ambition to please God, the ambition to serve Him, the ambition to lead a quiet, productive life. Jesus says, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He's saying tomorrow the future is going to have trouble. Tomorrow the future is going to have struggles. It's unavoidable. And he's saying no Christian should ever be caught in, in what I'll call the then syndrome. If such and such happened, then things are going to be trouble-free. If, uh, if, I, if, if I get married, then things are going to be trouble-free. If I have children, then it's going to be trouble-free. Or when I get a promotion, then it's going to be trouble-free. It's futile to try to live a trouble-free life. You can spend all your time and energy trying to fortify your castle of the castle of your life if there's always going to be a place that's going to go unguarded. Tomorrow is going to have its challenges. Tomorrow is going to have its trials, and no matter how hard you try to prevent them, we're not to worry about tomorrow. There's enough going on today. Worry will not destroy the trials of tomorrow, but it will sabotage our strength for today. One preacher put it this way, no man ever sank under the burden of the day. It is when tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that the weight is more than a man can bear. 
Jesus gives you strength for today. Let him hold tomorrow. Worrying also does not make you and it does not enable you to escape evil. It does make you unfit to cope with it. The truth is, God gives us the strength to bear trouble when it comes. But we'll never have the strength to bear it if we worry about it and worry about it and worry about it. Worry also makes us uh, subject to misery that we otherwise wouldn't know. How many times have you ever just completely just worried yourself to death over a coming situation that actually what you were worrying about never actually came to fruition that all ended up perfectly fine? You end up losing a day or two days or a night's sleep or, a two, or two nights sleep worrying about things that actually never, never happened. I've done that. And Satan wants, and that's a, that, that is a weak point in you that Satan is going to dig at and dig at and dig at. And then we just feed into it by worrying about it and worrying about it and worrying about it. Jesus is saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, worry about itself. He's saying, don't borrow trouble that you don't already have. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's a present tense verb, which means you and I are to be in continual seeking after God's kingdom. And when you and I do this, our focus is no longer on what we eat or what we drink or what we wear. And if we constantly seek him, there's not going to be any room for the other stuff. I'll give you this last thing. The more time spent in prayer, the less time we have to worry. And vice versa, the more time we spend worrying, the less time we spend in prayer. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord to provide, whatever that is. Cast your cares upon the Lord because what? He cares for you. Don't live. Jesus saying, don't live in tomorrow. Tomorrow's not here yet. Live here. Live where he's got you right there. Live where he's got you right now. Put your arms around your loved ones right now. Take a walk with your loved ones right now. Enjoy what God has given you right now. Let him be concerned what happens tomorrow. Because only he actually knows. And he's already got it worked out. <laughs>